morning. Good to see you here today. Thank you, Jan. Great job. You'll forgive me this morning if I'm not my usual boisterous self. I don't yell and jump around like I usually do, and if you know, that's a joke. A little more tired than I thought I was. I had an arteriogram on Thursday. I received another stint and stayed overnight in the hospital Thursday night. And I now have eight stints. I thought seven was good, but I guess eight's even better. Take your Bibles, turn back, if you would, to Acts chapter number 9. I want to bring you a message that I'm entitled, From Terrorist to Teacher. Last week, we looked at Paul's amazing conversion. How he went from a man who was determined to destroy Christianity to a man who is now convinced of the genuineness of Christianity and of his own desire to spread that good news. If we begin to look back up just a few verses from where Brother Bobby read this morning in verse number 20 of Acts chapter 9, we read, And immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. And then all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who were called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving this Jesus is the Christ. So immediately after his conversion, Paul began preaching, much to the amazement of all those who heard him. Although Paul himself would later write that new converts, that is novices, should not be leaders in the church, in this case there are a couple of mitigating factors. First is the fact that he preached does not mean that he was a leader of the congregation. And secondly, Paul was uniquely prepared and like, unlike most new believers, Paul was already well-grounded and well-versed in the Scripture. His message was simply, Jesus is the Son of God. I want you to notice with me, first of all, his escape from Damascus. It says, now after many days, verse 23, were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. And then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. Paul didn't stay in Damascus long after his conversion. But according to Galatians chapter 1 and verse 15, he went out into the Arabian desert, a desert area east and south of Damascus, which was the Nabataean kingdom. It is uncertain how long he stayed there although it is thought that it may have been the greater part of three years, according to Galatians chapter 1 and verse 18. What he did during that time is also unknown, though some think it was a time of personal reflection and of revelations from the Lord. Ultimately, he did return from Arabia and returned back to Damascus. 
sometime later, an attempt was made to kill him, which he escaped by making a rather hasty exit in a basket. I can always envision this kind of like a clothes basket. I don't know why. Being let down over the wall. Now, that's not a real classy way to leave the city. He describes his narrow escape in his uh, second letter to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 11, verses 32 and 33, he says, In Damascus, the governor, Aretas, the king, was guarding the city of Damascus with a garrison desiring to arrest me. But I was let down in the basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. Now, Damascus was the first place that Paul preached. And it was the first place that he experienced persecution. But it would not be the last place for either of those experiences. Secondly, I want you to see with me the intervention by Barnabas. It says, And when Saul, verse 26, had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists. That means the Greek-speaking Jews. But they attempted to kill him. And when the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. When Paul returned to Jerusalem, he was in a pretty difficult situation. His former friends were now his enemies. And he desired for his former enemies to now be his friends. When he arrived back in Jerusalem, one of the first things that he wanted to do was to meet Peter and the rest of the apostles. Now the text says that Paul tried and tried to join the disciples at Jerusalem. But they were understandably dubious of his intentions. The Greek word that is translated tried or assayed in the King James Version is in imperfect tense, which means he tried repeatedly to join himself with them. But the believers would not accept him because they did not believe his testimony. They were justifiably, I believe, suspicious that he might just be an imposter trying to work his way into the circle of believers so that he could spy on them, and so that he could identify all the disciples so that he could arrest them. Now try to put yourself in their place. Would you have trusted Paul? I would not have. Not unlike many of us, Paul's past haunted him. Saul was a changed man, a redeemed man, but his past still cast a huge shadow over his life. Now, what the church did is a perfectly understandable reaction, but it must have been a crushing disappointment for Paul. He had experienced a miraculous conversion. 
He has spent three years of preparation and now rejection. Verse 27 opens with the words, but Barnabas. It is at this point that Barnabas enters the picture. Now, Barnabas' real name is Joseph. But he's called Barnabas because he lives out what this name means, son of encouragement. We first met him in chapter 4, where he is seen donating the proceeds from the sale of a piece of land to the apostles to be used for the relief of the poor. I want to take you on an imaginary journey this morning. Can you imagine if we were all known by a prominent character trait instead of our names? What would your name be? Would it be positive or negative? Now remember that it is others who are giving you this name. Would it be John the Grump, Mac the Melancholy, Sam the Complainer, hopefully it'd be on the positive side, Sally the Servant, Henry the Helpful. Can you imagine how hard it was for me to think of names that I didn't think applied to anybody in the congregation? I really had to work on that for a while because I knew if I pulled one of your names out and used it, I'd be hearing from you. There are many encouragers uh, in the New Testament, but one character really stands out above the rest, and that's Barnabas. Every time he appears, he is helping or encouraging someone. Here we see Barnabas acting as Paul's sponsor. He introduced him to Peter and James, the brother of Jesus, and, they dec- and he declared that he was convinced of the genuineness of Paul's conversion. When Paul needs a friend in Damascus, Ananias meets that need. And when Paul needs a friend in Jerusalem, he found a friend in Barnabas. According to the letter to the Galatians, Paul spent 15 days in fellowship with the believers. But then, for his own protection, the Christians in Jerusalem sent Paul by way of Caesarea, back to Tarsus. What you may or may not understand is that it is that 12 years will pass before we hear from Paul again. 12 years in relative obscurity. 12 years before he again enters into prominent ministry. Now think with me for just a moment. What made Barnabas an encourager? Just two things I want to point out. There are many that we could. First of all, he was able to forgive. Barnabas did not withhold giving encouragement from Paul because of his past actions. By continuing to judge him in the present for those actions. He was a man who was able to forgive. And secondly, he knew how to give people a second chance. We see this particularly in his relationship with John Mark. Mark had accompanied Barnabas and Paul on a missionary journey that's recorded in Acts chapter 13. But at some point, he deserted them. 
Barnabas wanted to give him another chance. But Paul said no. And in fact, he said no very vehemently. In fact, Barnabas and Paul ended up separating over that issue. Barnabas took Mark with him, and Paul took Silas with him. But ultimately, even the apostle Paul had to admit that Barnabas was right about Mark. We are all capable of being an encouragement to someone. The last thing that I want you to see is the progress of the church found in verse 32. Then the churches throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and were edified, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Luke begins the sentence, and this is a word you ought to underline, then. Then the churches enjoyed peace, were strengthened, lived in the fear of the Lord, were encouraged by the Holy Spirit, and they grew in numbers. We need to first remember what happened before the then that Luke is talking about in verse 31. If we look back at the church and what it's been through, we realize that there were some hard times back then. Remember that then the church had to choose a new disciple because of the defection of Judas. And then Peter and John had been arrested and and threatened. And then there was the death of Ananias and Sapphira for lying. And then... There was opposition from the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then there was tension in the church about how some of the widows were being neglected. And then Stephen was killed. And then Christians were being driven from their homes by persecution. And then that madman Saul had been hounding Christians from city to city, arresting them and putting them in prison. And and then times were tough. But you might say, well, weren't there good times too? Well, yes, there were. There was Jesus' appearance to his followers in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. There was the experience of Pentecost and the filling of the Holy Spirit. There was Peter's preaching and there were the 5,000 who were saved on that day. There was the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch and Saul's conversion And now in in light of all that has happened, then Luke wants us to know that God's work was not only continuing, but it was strong despite all the opposition that has been thrown against it. First of all, it says the church enjoyed peace. Then the churches throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. Now the King James Version translates that word as rest, but I think it gives you a, a false idea of what's being described here. This was a time of peace, not necessarily of rest. It was not a time of complacency because we see, we see the church grow both spiritually and numerically. They seized that opportunity to strengthen 
and build up the church in preparation for whatever may come next. The church should make use of times of calm and peace to bear a stronger testimony than ever before. All too often, however, times of peace and quiet and rest and comfort cause us to become complacent and lethargic. This should not be the case. Calm and peace mean the gospel is now unhindered and unopposed. Therefore, opportunity for proclaiming the gospel should be used to its fullest. Secondly, the church was edified. It had peace and they were edified. The word edified simply means to build up spiritually, to, to promote spiritual growth, to strengthen, establish, or to confirm in the faith. The church was going through a time of peace, but it continued to grow spiritually. They were building up themselves and they were actively involving, involved in building each other up. The church far too often seems to be actively involved in tearing each other down, in tearing the church apart. Gossip and character assassination are, the, are two of the negative ways that we can be guilty of doing just that sort of thing. When what we really need to do is being helping each other and ourselves to grow spiritually. Third, the church was walking in fear of the Lord. Scripture often uses the image of walking to describe the course of one's life. The word walk as it's used here reveals there are two ways. We are either walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit or we are walking in rebellion and sin. The Lord clearly established that in Matthew chapter 7 and verses 13 and 14 when he said there are only two spiritual paths from which we may choose. He says, enter by the narrow gate for broad is the way that leads to destruction and there are many that go in because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it. We must choose to walk in the fear of the Lord. Unfortunately, our mental image of the word fear is not very good. The Greek word here is phobos. It is the word we get phobia from. But this fear is not a trembling withdrawal from God. On the contrary, it means that a person stands in reverence and in awe of him and with a desire to approach and know him. The book of Proverbs has much to tell us about the importance of fearing the Lord. And I just listed off these and I'll give them to you. And I would heartily recommend that you go at some point and read each of these scripture references. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge according to Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7. The fear of the Lord will cause one to hate evil. Proverbs chapter 8 verse 13 Fear of the Lord will prolong life, Proverbs 10, 27. The fear of the Lord 
provides strong confidence, Proverbs 14. The fear of the Lord prompts one to depart from evil, Proverbs 16. The fear of the Lord leads to a satisfying life, Proverbs 19. The fear of the Lord is the way to riches and honor and life, Proverbs 22.4. Very simply, to live in the fear of the Lord is to live before Him and in trust, in awe, in worship and obedience. The phrase, the fear of the Lord, means that the church dreaded to do anything that might displease or offend the Lord God. Fearing God means that I know that God cares about what I do. And then the church was comforted by the Holy Spirit. It says that the churches throughout the area had peace were edified, walking in fear of the Lord and walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The word in Greek translated comfort has two primary meanings. The first is comfort like a mother gives to an injured child. Comforter is the name that Jesus gives us for the Holy Spirit. When he says in John chapter 14, I will pray the Father And he will send you another helper or comforter that he may abide with you forever. The second meaning of the word translated comfort is counsel or exhortation. In John chapter 16 and verse 8, Jesus tells us, And when he has come, that is when the Holy Spirit has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So another aspect of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is that he is present with us to guide us. So the Holy Spirit was flooding their lives with a great sense of the Lord's presence and the joy of their salvation. Finally, it says, and the church was multiplied. Whenever God's people are walking in fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, you can expect to see growth. But of the two, the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, which do you think we need most today? Often what we need is for the comfortable to be afflicted to gain the fear of the Lord and the afflicted to be comforted by the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Now I want to close this morning by taking us back for a moment to think about how much of an investment Barnabas made in others and how much it paid in dividends. Because Barnabas was an encourager, Paul was able to go out and preach to the Gentiles and and write 13 letters. Because of Barnabas, Paul himself became an encourager. After starting several new churches on his first missionary journey, Paul then retraced his steps, returning to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. And it says in, in Acts chapter 14 that he strengthened disciples and encouraged them to remain true to the faith. These new believers, left alone for several weeks or even months, needed encouragement for fear that they would falter 
in the faith. Also, through Barnabas, encouragement of Mark, we gained the second gospel. Here's something remarkable. Barnabas never wrote a book that found its way into the Bible. But he encouraged two men who wrote over half of the New Testament. If we're honest, we admit that there are times that we all need encouragement. There have been many times in my own walk that someone here has encouraged me about the work when I was tired or when I was questioning the benefit of what I'm doing. A timely word of how the Lord spoke to them or how the Lord was working in their lives was enough to give me strength to continue on. All Christians at one time or another need encouragement. Here's my point. This is something anybody can do. Would you listen to the Lord this week? And would you look for an opportunity to be an encouragement to someone. It doesn't have to be something big. But it could make all the difference in the world. In fact, it could change the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for loving us. For sending your son to pay for our sin. For continuing to lift us up and provide for our needs. Father, there may be someone here today that doesn't know you in a personal, intimate way. I pray that today they might realize that they are sinners, just like all the rest of us here, and that they can't save themselves, nothing they can do to earn salvation. But they don't have to because Jesus has already done everything necessary for salvation. He paid for their sins on the cross of Calvary. And all they must do is accept that payment. And so if there's one here today that needs that, then I pray that you'd help them to quietness of this place simply to recognize that they are sinners. Ask that you would save them. Ask that Jesus would forgive them and that he would become their personal Savior. Father, I pray for those who may be here this morning that are struggling. They're either struggling physically or emotionally or spiritually, and they just need a fresh touch from you. They need to know that you know about them and what they're going through and that you care about them. And so I pray, Lord, that you just touch them this morning and give them that reassurance. And then, Lord, I pray that you'd help us as we leave here in just a few moments, that we would be looking for opportunities to be an encouragement to someone, that we'd be listening to your voice as you instruct us on those that you would have us to reach out to and help us to make a difference in this world. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? Brother Steve's going to be here. God spoke into your heart this morning.